following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. It's that time of year. It's time of year for a lot of things. As JV said, it's that time of year. I know it seems like August is, is just like not even close to being right around the corner, but it is. So it's that time of year where those who like to do the camping thing, we start thinking about it and we start signing up. One more time, do not put your name on that list out there until you call recreation.gov and get your spot. All right? Okay. Very, very good. Um, it's also time for March Madness. It's not time for my March Madness anymore. It's over and done with. But March means something a little bit different for all of us, and it means something typically is coming. We're approaching that time of year when more than once you will hear about a low-pressure system moving its way across the plains, all right? There is cool air from the north that is meeting up with warm, moist air from the south. You throw in a couple upper-level disturbances, I don't even know what that means, but you throw that in. And then on top of it, you've got a thunderstorm moving in from an odd, unusual direction. And you know what you have the stage set for? You might say a massive thunderstorm. No, I'm saying this. You've got the stage set for Travis Meyer breaking in all evening to your favorite TV programs. And he, you can see his face. He's trying so hard to contain his excitement and his giddiness because he knows this is kind of dangerous for people, but meteorologists are weird, all right? And they love this stuff. They absolutely love it. And you, what you have is a recipe for something big. Now, we know that it doesn't always happen that way, but just for a moment, suppose that it did Happen, And you have a family of four who make it to the basement just in time when that, 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 that big old storm and that wind, that tornado is coming right there. And in this family of four, you've got a dad, you've got a mom, you've got a teenager, and you've got a seven-year-old. All right? They make it to the basement, their house, toast. I mean, it's gone. As JB said, D-E-A-D. Their house is dead. Okay, it is it is gone, but they are safe, and they are asked to give an account of what the storm was and what it was like, and this is what happens. All of the accounts from dad down to the seven-year-old will look alike and different at the same time. I promise you, the seven-year-old will look different, their account, from the teenagers account they will look different and it's it's, it's interesting because it's from the perspective of the person giving the account and not only that who they intend for the account to be given to the audience folks with that in mind welcome to the gospels matthew mark luke and john the first four books of our new testament written by four different authors, writing to four very different audiences. Each account is accurate, is just kind of different from the others. And I can tell you this right now, when you see an event that is recorded by all four of those writers, it's usually a pretty big event. It's usually something pretty Gigantic going on. You know, to this point in the Gospels and their story and what they tell, 
as you combine them together, there's only one event to this point that has been recorded by all four gospel writers. Anybody will throw a little Bible trivia out there. Anybody have a guess what that event might have been? That happened to this point. Now, the cross still to come, all right, to this point. Anybody? The feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. The only event to this point that all four of them write about. But when it is recorded by all of them, obviously that was a big deal. This is a big deal. And what we're going to look at today was recorded by all four writers. So I said, we're going to begin in Mark chapter 11. Turn to Mark 11, beginning, we'll just start right at the top, verse 1. I'm going to tell you, we're going to bounce around all the Gospels today some. Okay? We'll spend more time in some than others, but we will be in all of them before it's all said and done. Mark's second book of our New Testament. You're not sure where that's at? That's okay. Look at your table of contents. It will get you there. All right? This is what it has to say. I'll be reading out the New American Standard. It says this. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, Jesus, he, sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, And they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They said to them, just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. You know what? This, looking through the Gospels, this is not a very common occurrence. Matter of fact, this has never happened before. This is, just to try to put this in perspective a little bit, all right? I'm going to bring up two guys that most of you know. One, his name's John Whitworth, all right? This would be like asking John Whitworth to willingly drive a Chevy pickup, okay? Um, or, on the other hand, let's go with another John, John Lay, asking John Lay to willingly drive a Ford, okay? Those things, if they happen, they don't happen willingly, okay? All right? Jesus' preferred mode of transportation all the way through the Gospels to this point is what? Any guesses? Walking, Yes, he walked wherever he went. And here, he comes into Jerusalem, of all places, Jerusalem, riding on the back of not a war horse, of not even a donkey, but the foal, the colt of a donkey. It's interesting, when you read Matthew's account with this, Matthew must have known a little something about donkey colts, I guess, because he said that the mama came too. All right, so they had the mama, and they had the colt, and Jesus rode on the back of the colt. Now, Matthew also also tells us that this was to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah, the prophet. Zechariah has an incredible number of, 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 of prophecies about this Messiah. And not only that, they're really, really accurate as well. Okay, so fulfillment of prophecy here. And, and 
this is kind of interesting to me. Jesus tells most likely, um, probably either James or John or Peter and John, he tells them to go and, and get this colt. And he doesn't, he just says, go and get it. All right. I mean, he doesn't say pay for it. He doesn't say go to, you know, I'm sure they had a Hertz there for donkeys, you know, go to Hertz and rent a donkey, you know, and bring it back. I did I mean, they don't. He just says, go and get the thing. So they're like, uh, what do we say? If they say, tell them I need it. Okay. All right. So they go, they untie the donkey. The people are like, uh, what are you doing? Taking the donkey. And you're like, uh, the, the Lord, um, Jesus, he needs it. And they're like, okay, go ahead. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, isn't that a little bit strange? Well, it is Jesus after all. But on top of this, keep in mind, in the back of your mind, let this sink in. Jesus has spent some time in Jerusalem. He spent the majority of his time in ministry in Galilee, which is kind of, we've talked about that before. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the sticks, all right? And this is more kind of the urban area, if you will. But Jesus has spent the last six months around Jerusalem in doing ministry healing people, teaching. His popularity, as we will see, is like up here. And and they say, Jesus needs it. The people are going to say, oh, yeah, go for it. Absolutely. We'll bring it back when we're done. Okay, very, very, very good. Now, keep this in mind. I don't think the people of Jerusalem, the Jews of that region, were looking to their Messiah coming into town on the back of a donkey colt, all right? I mean, what do you think? Maybe a chariot or, or maybe maybe a big old white stallion or something like that. I'm sure it seemed a little odd, but to this point in time, the people don't seem to mind too much. So that's what's going on. Jesus coming into town on the back of a donkey colt. Now let's turn over to Matthew. Um, just one book before. It's not going to take you very long to get there. Matthew 21. Matthew 21, we'll begin with verse 8. This is what happens. Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. It says, Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And the crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. All right, now understand this. Jesus started out the morning over in Bethany. That's where he'll end before long, end his day. And it's, it's about... A two-mile journey into Jerusalem. You go up and down the Mount of Olives. Now, don't picture in your brain Pike's Peak or anything like that, okay? This is, this is when Jesus was coming off the, the crest of the hill of, of Olives, the Mount of Olives, um, and, and looking down into Jerusalem, able to see it. Right there at the base, close by, would be the temple courts, 300 feet above. So we're not talking about this massive mountain or anything. And as Jesus has crested that hill and he's coming down into the city... The people are cutting bread. They're putting their own coats on the ground for this donkey. And now I'm telling you guys, this is the main, one of the main thoroughfares coming into Jerusalem. One that's very, very busy because people are pouring over this pass to come down to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. All right? I mean, it's, I'm just going to be honest here. It's not a place you want to lay your coat. All right? I mean, it's kind of nasty. 
right? But they're doing that for him. And those who don't have coats to lay down are cutting branches from the trees and laying them in the road. And they're singing and crying out praises to God. You know what these people are ready to do? They are ready to crown Jesus Messiah and King right now. This had happened before, by the way. And we've already talked about the occasion today when it happened. It was the feeding of the 5,000. Which... Keep, bear in mind, that's 5,000 men, not including their family. So we're probably talking about a minimum of about 20,000 people there. And Jesus fed them with five loaves and two fish. And the people immediately after that took place said, hey, this is our king right here. I mean, can you imagine that? That program of benevolence in that kingdom? He took five loaves and two fish and he fed 20,000 people with it. I mean, they're never going to be hungry. All right, And they tried to make him king by force. And we are told that Jesus dismissed the crowd and went across the sea. The lake, should probably rather say, Sea of Galilee was not that big. But he fled the scene. All right? And here, it's like that again. These people are ready to take Jesus. I mean, see, the Passover, there are Jews from all over that part of the world who are flocking in Jerusalem at this time. And this place, this time, was always filled with religious and political passion. You see, the Jews were more than ready to be rid of Roman oppression. And as all of this is taking place, and Jesus and this incredibly huge entourage are making their way towards the city gates, right over here, close to the temple, it's called the Tower of Antonia. And what you have on top of there is a Roman garrison, and there are Roman soldiers up there just watching. They're like, ooh, this could get interesting. When you see something like this coming into town. All right, let's turn. I said we're going to jump around a little bit. Let's turn to, to John chapter 12. Three books later here. John chapter 12. Verse Verse 16. Now, the Gospel of John was written by John, and he was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Um, he was there for all of this, and, and John was, was very honest, all right? And there are times when you read about John that he just basically says that, uh, me and my buddies, you know, those disciples, we didn't have a clue. We didn't have a clue. Well, this is, this is one of those times. Um, it says in verse 16, it says this, these things Jesus' his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him. And that they had done these things to him. So what you have going on here is they make their way to Jerusalem. And they're getting close to the city gates. As folks, it's a party. All right. I mean, it is, it is a party scene. And the disciples are complete. They're cut off guard here. Because typically when it's like the party going on, Jesus dismisses it. That's typically what happens. He dismisses the party. He's like, okay, go home now, people. Go home. The party is over. All right, But this is different because Jesus doesn't seem to be dismissing the party here. Jesus seems to be acting some level of different than he's asked 
than he has behaved, than he has acted in the past. And the disciples, they just don't really understand. They're just kind of looking around with their eyes and like, what is going on here? And John tells us that it wasn't until Jesus was glorified, and that is Bible code language for this, the Holy Spirit came. Okay, Jesus told his disciples, he said, I must go so that the helper can come. And before the helper could come, Jesus not only had to be resurrected, he had to be glorified in heaven, and then the Spirit would be poured out upon the disciples. And once that took place, it changed the 2020 vision for the disciples. You've heard that probably before. Um, hindsight is 2020. You heard that? It's not entirely accurate. Because hindsight is truly only 2020 when you're looking at history when the Holy Spirit's involved. And then hindsight truly becomes 2020. But at this point in time, the disciples are just kind of bewildered. Like, what's all going on here? All right, So John throws that in there for us. Now let's turn to Luke 19. What you're going to see probably if, if your Bible has... If your Bible has those little subheadings above sections, that's, not, that's, that's been added by the editors. That's not something that was included when this was written originally. But it's just some helps for us. And I hope you're noticing in your Bible, if you have those, that were triumphal entry, triumphant entry, all, all of those sorts of things. So you turn to Luke 19. We're going to look at verses 39 and 40. You know something? Before we look at those... You can fill in the blank in your own mind, in your own way with this, all right? Maybe you've thought this before. Maybe you've experienced this before. Everyone's having a great time until fill in the blank showed up. <laughs> Is that, you know, it's like, man, everybody was having fun. It was, it was good. Family reunion was wonderful until somebody showed up. And I'm going to tell you something right now. Right? We occasionally have people out to our house, and um, sometimes when we have people out to our house, there will be youngins out there. By, by youngins, I mean usually about five foot and on down, okay? I'm talking about kids. I know there's some adults who aren't that tall, all right? But I'm talking about, about young ones, all right? And, and what we'll do is sometimes we'll eat in the house, and we'll put them out on the patio, <laughs> all right? Got a nice little picnic table out there, you know, 29 degrees. It's okay. They wore coats. They'll be fine. All right, so you got to have some, have some good conversation in here without, ah! okay, so uh, anyway, so we got that, and then what will happen at some point in time is a parent will look out, and Cat walks up, okay? Now, Cat, that's, that's his name, spelled with a K, Cat, that's our Cat, and Cat has been infamously labeled that he could be a, a stunt double for, for a Cat from The Walking Dead, okay, because um, he looks horrible. All right. Found out this week it's allergies. It's allergies, Charlie. It's allergies, and we got, we gave him a shot, so he's gonna look great here in no time at all. But he's usually got like these sores all over him, and just he just it's not that bad, BJ. It's really you don't have to like. <laughs> it's not that bad. I mean, but, and then people are like, oh, and the parents are like, oh, it's like cat's not gonna eat your children, okay? And he's not contagious. They're fine. They're fine. He's harmless. All right. He's not a party pooper. Okay. But you know what? Some party poopers, they are not harmless. And we get an example of that right here in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 39 and 40. It says this, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, 
I mean, there's a party going on here, folks. And this is what they say. Teacher, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I love Jesus' answer. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, if I don't let them praise me, the rocks themselves will cry out. John chapter 12 verse 19 goes on to tell us a little bit more about these Pharisees. They're having a real hard time with this whole thing, all right? I mean, they're having a real hard time. And, and in there it says, just a part of that verse says this, the Pharisees, they're just flustered. They don't know what to do. It's not a good day for them. They see this taking place and they literally say this, the world has gone after him. The world has gone after Jesus. And the Pharisees, they can see their power slipping away from them. And they think, this Jesus is going to change everything. And guess what? They were right. He would change everything. But not in the way they were thinking. They were very right and they were very wrong. Because the way Jesus would change things, nobody, nobody anticipated. Let's continue on in Luke 19. Verse 41. Might catch, might catch us off guard here just a little bit. When Jesus approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. They will not leave one in you, not one stone upon the other. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. You see what Jesus, he becomes once again the prophet here. Because in a mere 40 years, Rome would sack Jerusalem and destroy the temple in such a way that it would never, ever be rebuilt. And Jesus wept for the city of Jerusalem. Now, don't misunderstand here. This isn't like an allergic to the donkey thing with a few tears coming down, all right? The Greek language makes it clear that these were deep sobs. Jesus lost his composure and he wept. He wept. He sobbed. For the city of Jerusalem. This will look very much like another time later this week. When he will do something again very, dim- very much the same. And what's taking place here is he's weeping over the stubbornness of the people. It doesn't seem to fit the scene. Jesus weeping. But he regains his composure and he heads to the city and directly to the temple. And he gets a really good look around there at the temple. And after that, he and his disciples 
turned and walked back to Bethany to spend the night. The party's just getting started and Jesus leaves? What's going on here? Well, we'll tell you this. After resting for the night in Bethany, he will come back, go back to that temple, and I'll tell you what, the next day we'll start with a bang, okay? But why the sudden exit? Why the tears? And that's not doing it justice. Why the uncontrollable sobs from the Son of God as he observed the city before him? I mean, this crowd wants a Messiah. I mean, that's what they want, and he's here to provide that for them. The problem is, they want the wrong kind of Messiah. They want to be free from the power of Rome. And that's not what Jesus is here to do. They want the wrong kind of Messiah. And when he refuses to be what they want, they kill him. Do you know how much different everything could be today? If Jesus that week wasn't fixated on the cross. I mean, the casual observer, just watching, seeing these people laying their coats in horse manure so that Jesus' donkey doesn't have to walk on it, all right? Crying out praises to God, to this Messiah that they think they understand, but they don't. And they're crying, they're praising Him. And the casual observer would never, ever guess that that week would end with those people shouting crucify Him and Him hanging on a cross. It would happen that way because Jesus was fixated on something. Fixated. Here you go. Got a definition for you. That's the entire, that's, a, that's what we're going to be looking at the next four weeks after today. The sermon series of fixated. Fixated. Someone who has been caused to have an obsessive attachment to something. Someone, I'll say it again, who has been caused to have an obsessive attachment to something. Jesus could have gone a lot of different directions with that last week. Think about it, folks. Jesus could have been, he had the power to be the Messiah that they wanted. Jesus could have overthrown the rule of Rome and ruled this world for five millenniums, for the rest of eternity. He could have done it. He had legions of angels at his command and disposal. That's not what he was here for. He was not fixated on triumph in this world. He was fixated on something completely different. He was fixated on a cross that would provide freedom. Spiritual freedom. 
I've probably preached messages along those lines and concluded them very similarly. Right there. Jesus, what that last week, he was fixated on the cross. But you know something? I left out a little bit of the definition of fixated. And on top of that, I'm not sure that's entirely accurate. Because this is the entire definition of fixated. Someone who has been caused to have an obsessive attachment to something or someone. Jesus, that week, was not fixated on a cross. He was fixated on you. And we are the reason that week would end with him hanging on a Roman execution tool. Because he loves you and he loves me. Folks, without his single-minded focus, we would be walking around in this world without hope. By the end of the week, we will see that Jesus wasn't too excited about what would take place on that cross. He was terrified about the thought of being separated from his father. He was horrified at the thought of having sin laid upon his shoulders. And if he had taken the easy route out, we would not have hope. But Jesus' single-minded focus was you. Was you.